the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Calcedon Report number 56, April 1970. The death of an age is a bloody business. Men, disillusioned with the promises of their faith, yet unwilling to surrender them, strike out at everything in rage and in frustration. Like a rudderless ship, The civilization loses its direction and is driven by events instead of driving through them. Today, in the last days of humanism, man, this idealistic affirmation comes with it the assumption that evil is not in man but rather in his environment. Change the environment and you thereby change man it is held. As a result, humanistic sociology and politics are rigorously environmental. Every effort is made to provide better housing, better education, every kind of environmental control, but in all of this, man's evil only seems to proliferate. As a result, many humanists have themselves abandoned their faith in man. Nietzsche, ahead of most, proclaimed the need of Superman to replace man, and evolutionists and socialists have dedicated themselves to working towards the creation of a new man. Man, as he is now, in terms of this hope, is expendable. He is merely the ape who shall produce the man of the future. Lenin, who held this view, could therefore treat with ruthless contempt the apes beneath him as he worked to bring the new man out of them. In every version, this belief is a break with the humanistic faith in man. A second basic concept of the humanistic faith in its affirmation that man is his own God, as I have pointed out in several of my books, e.g. This Independent Republic, page 142f, basic to every sound theology is the doctrine of the unity of the Godhead. A schizophrenic God is no God at all. Mankind, humanity, being made up of God's must be united to avoid a division in this new Godhead, man. This means world unity, a one-world order. It means world peace, for the Godhead must not be at war with itself. Ironically, this faith has led to what has been called, quote, perpetual war for perpetual peace, unquote. To demand the unity of all men in the essence of total imperialism, the result is total warfare. The peace lovers are history's greatest warmongers. Worldwide interventionism to affect world peace has characterized the policies of late of the USSR, 
the U.S., the U.N., and others. Granted, their presuppositions all are, quote, sincere, unquote, but sincerity does not mean either truth or justice. Moreover, man without God ends up as man without man, unable and unwilling to live at peace with anyone and unable to live at peace with himself. The existentialist Sartre has stated the modern mood bluntly, quote, Hell is other people, unquote. If every man is his own God, knowing or determining for himself what constitutes good and evil, then every man is at war with any limitation upon himself imposed by other men or by a state. Hell, then, is logically, quote, other people, unquote. And the humanistic faith in man as his own God becomes history's major impulse towards suicide. The satanic temptation, Genesis 3, 5, thus becomes the counsel of death to men and nations. The third basic doctrine of the religion of humanism is the belief in equality. See again this independent republic, page 140. Equality is a concept of the age of humanism with its respect for the authority of science transferred from the realm of mathematics and applied to man. The results have been devastating. 2 plus 2 equals 4 is a valid concept and a necessary abstraction. Such abstractions are important tools in dealing with board feet of lumber, all cut to size and graded, such abstractions work. But the richness and variety of man cannot be expressed by abstractions. Two Africans and two Englishmen do not equal four Americans, or vice versa. The equation mark now becomes an absurdity. Who are these eight men, and what are their talents? Are they saints of God, or are they apostates, criminals, or good citizens? One may be a plumber, and the other a concert violinist. The plumber may be more important to you today, and the violinist tonight. Each have their place, their function, and the term equality is irrelevant to it. It imposes an abstract mathematical judgment in an area where a vast variety of considerations must govern. But we are governed today by the politics of equality. To challenge the doctrine is in bad form. Although everyone is troubled in society in an uproar over the unrealistic attempts to enforce an abstraction onto the concrete facts of life. The doctrine is honored in principle and denied in practice. The Marxist world affirms, quote, from each according to his abilities, to each according to his needs, unquote. But this is not an equality of work, but of wealth. In practice, even this is abandoned by the Marxists in favor of a variety of rewards and a radically unequal society, one with greater variations of social status than the old Russia had. Both Fabian and Marxist socialisms now favor meritocracy, rigid examinations, state control of all jobs, and positions being assigned and power in terms of examinations. The result is the rise of a new privileged class. In Britain, the House of Lords is steadily packed with labor politicians who have been made peers, and there are signs that its power may be revived under the leadership of this new elite. 
The equalitarians end up by asserting, as in Orwell's animal form, that some animals are more, quote, equal, unquote, than others. Whether it is the peasants of Russia or the Negroes of America, the most rebellious and angry people, the most disillusioned members of equalitarian society, or those who have been, quote, made equal, unquote, by acts of state. They know that they have been defrauded and their impulse becomes revolutionary. The fourth basic concept of the religion of humanism is its belief in the inevitability of progress. This is a secularized version of the belief in providence. Humanism, by denying God, has depersonalized history. The world and its events are no longer the plan and handiwork of a personal sovereign God. They are the product of anonymous, impersonal social forces. These impersonal forces with planning man now guiding his own evolution are supposed to ensure not only progress, but more rapid progress. The result is, as Robert L. Heilbronner in The Future as History has termed it, a, quote, philosophy of expectations, unquote. In terms of humanism, mankind should now be moving rapidly into a paradise on earth. In the 1920s and 1930s, teachers and professors often waxed lyrical in portraying the golden age which scientific planning would usher in. Today, the most intelligent of humanism's children are most in revolt against its failure to deliver on its promises. According to Kenneth Keniston, in the November 1969 Yale Alumni Magazine, the students involved in campus protest are usually the most intelligent on the campus. Quote, One study finds that the best way to predict whether a college will have anti-war protest is to count the number of national merit scholars in the freshman class. Furthermore, protesting students have been shown again and again to be an elite within each college and university more privileged in background more academically successful, more socially concerned than their less active classmates. It is partly for this reason that student unrest concerns us profoundly. To be sure, if we consider white students, and I will not discuss black militants here, only a minority of America's almost 7 million college students are vocally disaffected. Yet if this minority is selectively drawn from the future leaders of our society, does this fact not threaten the continuity of our culture? It does indeed, and continuity of humanistic culture is being destroyed by its own bitter and disillusioned sons. The destruction is also written into humanistic culture at every turn. Because of this belief in the inevitability of progress, men can believe that progress will come inevitably after destruction. Destroy the past, clear the ground, and progress is inevitable. This is basic to the revolutionary mentality. This scientism is described by Ortega E. Gasset in the revolt of the masses as a new form of barbarism. Such a barbarian, quote, believes that civilization is there in just the same way as the earth's crust and the forest primeval, unquote. As a result, this barbarian destroys in order to advance because the destruction supposedly speeds up progress. The more revolutionary humanism becomes, the more it is suicidal. Fifth, the basic saving institutions of humanism, 
an example it's church or temple or state and school. Both today are morally bankrupt. The implicit anarchism in all humanism makes man hostile to the state. It is always a hated establishment to him, a restraint on his freedom to be his own God. Whatever form the state takes, it displeases humanistic man. Very consistently, some leaders on the new left now call for perpetual revolution as the only answer. The school is also bankrupt. The mathematical dream of equality is especially absurd when applied to education, which is the process of differentiation, analysis, and understanding, not a massive leveling of ideas and facts. Education is thus in growing chaos, and it cannot improve on humanistic terms. Nothing is more ridiculous than a, quote, save our public schools, unquote, movement. In its origin, the public school movement was socialistic and humanistic, and it cannot be otherwise. It is a state agency for state purposes, and its basic premise is the state's right to control and educate the child. The public school movement is bankrupt, and it is dying. Humanism is dying, if not dead. Living with a corpse is no pleasant matter. It does not require documentation to tell us that a corpse is far gone. The answer to our problem lies elsewhere, not in documentation on death, but in reconstruction for life. Humanism is dead, but the triune God lives and rules, sovereign over all. There must be reconstruction, godly reconstruction. Let the dead bury the dead. The living have work to do. All things shall be made new. New schools, new social orders, new institutions, renewed family life. In every area, the principle of godly reconstruction must be applied. Defensive warfare is a mistake. It leaves the initiative to the enemy. Those who are content to protect the past die with it. Our calling is to offensive warfare, to subdue the earth and to exercise dominion over it. Genesis 1, 26-28 This is what it means to be a man created in the image of God. Remember, dominion does not belong to a mouse. Some years ago, J. Allen Smith, by no means a conservative, wrote as follows in The Growth and Decadence of Constitutional Government, 1939, quote, The basic conception of the old political order was not the divine right of kings, but the sovereignty of God. The assumed divine right of the temporal ruler was not an essential part of this doctrine. Divine sovereignty, as envisaged in the Christian theory of the world, was simply a conception of God as the ultimate source of authority. Direct human intermediaries, such as a pope or king, were purely adventitious features of this belief. Unquote. This belief in God's sovereignty meant also the rule of law. As Smith continued, quote, Supreme, unlimited power had no place in the political thought of the early constitutionalists. All human authority was conceived to be limited, unquote. The, quote, ultimate sovereignty of God precluded the idea that any human authority could be unlimited, unquote. Precisely. And because today the sovereignty of God is denied, the sovereignty of man and the state is affirmed. It is useless to rail against the present trend if we are a part of it, and unless we affirm the sovereignty of God in its every aspect, we are to all practical intent 
affirming man and his humanistic order. In other words, you have already taken sides, and you had better know it. You are either working for the, quote, crown rights of King Jesus, unquote, or for the crown claims of humanistic man. You cannot logically affirm, quote, the rule of law, unquote, quote, moral principles, unquote, and, quote, old-fashioned virtues, unquote, without affirming the sovereignty of God. The Marxists are right in recognizing God as the basic and ultimate enemy. Unless you stand in terms of the sovereignty of God as your strength, your first and last line of defense, and the ground of all advance, move over and join the enemy. You are a humanist. Calcedon Report number 57, May 1970. One of the most logical expressions of the modern mentality is anarchism. In anarchism, the basic premises of the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, Kant, and religious modernism come to maturity in their logical conclusion. Not only is anarchism the most logical expression of the modern mind, it is also its most psychopathic manifestation. In anarchism, the radical evil and sickness of the modern mind comes to focus. Let us examine some of the basic presuppositions of anarchism, which simply pushes the modern faith to its logical conclusion. First of all, anarchism denies the doctrine of original sin and holds to the natural goodness, or at the least, moral neutrality of man. The sin in the world is therefore not a product of man's fallen nature, but rather a product of an evil environment. If there is evil in man, the environment is responsible. As Herbert S. Gershman observed in The Surrealist Revolution in France, page 189, quote, For Rousseau, man's desires, which are wicked, were instilled in him by society. For the Surrealist, man's desires which are good and that their satisfaction will presumably make him happy, are regularly thwarted by society. Unquote. In either case, society, the environment, or the state is guilty, not man. Therefore, make war on society and the state. The premise of all modern revolutions is here. The anarchists are most logical in their application of it, since evil is in the environment and man's strongest environment seems to be the state, free man totally by destroying the state totally. The logic of this position is so compelling to the modern humanistic mentality that even the total statists, the Marxists, justify their totalitarian state as the necessary means for eliminating the state. The second main premise of anarchism is its belief in the autonomy of man is total independence of God and man. It is the heresy of absolute self-government. There must be no God, no church, no state, no family, no institution with any authority over man, because man is his own God, his own law and state. An interesting early expression of the anarchistic ideal is to be found in an early and seminal book, Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe, still excellent reading. We are often told that Crusoe represented the expression of the spirit of private enterprise, of capitalism, turning a desolate island into an ordered world. There is more than a little truth to this opinion, but another strand of thought is also apparent. 
The most compelling fact about Defoe's day was the great wealth capitalism was bringing to the cities. One reason for the growth of and poverty in cities was the influx of the poor to the cities to get jobs in the area of wealth. A continual influx meant a continual new class of poor as the earlier arrivals gained status in the growing middle class. The slums, in brief, were a first station on the road up, and the people crowded into them readily in hopes that their ride would be upwards. The city was thus a focal point of the new world of capitalism. Out of the confusion, crowding, and poverty of the city, capitalism was shaping an amazing new world. But Defoe chose a deserted island, a primitive and savage one, a condition of radical autonomy rather than the intense community of the city of his day. The element of anarchism was thus strongly present. The only other man in Crusoe's world was not a capitalist competitor, but a savage to emphasize his autonomy and dominion. This is the world of the anarchist, a world in effect without other people. The problem of philosophy for the existentialist Sartre is not God, but other people. In No Exit, Sartre has Garson declare, quote, Hell is other people, unquote. Levi, in Philosophy in the Modern World, page 420, observed that, quote, Hell is other people for Sartre because in his quaint universe of appropriation and domination, a kind of Hobbesian state of nature where the stakes are not the externals of wealth and deference but purely internal states of consciousness like nausea, shame, pride, and alienation, all contact with the other implies a latent contest, unquote. Crusoe, at least, had a real island. The modern anarchist increasingly flies to a new island, his own inner world, one he trusts no man can invade. According to Gershman, quote, liberty to the surrealist has a pronounced negative aspect, or perhaps it would be more accurate to say that it recalls the principles and goals of Reisman's inner-directed man. If it seeks martyrdom and oracular revelation, at the same time it denies the world and man's flesh and blood existence. Unquote. Page 12. The real world is, after Kant, to be found in the mind and imagination of man and his autonomous reason. Living with the reality of the outer world is seen as compromise. The new absolute is, quote, the individual man, unquote page 132. For this autonomous man, it is a moral necessity to deny not only the claims of God, but the claims of law, society, the state, and the family. The attitude is, quote, I am God, don't fence me in, unquote. With many hippies, there is a denial of cleanliness and of social graces as a means of denying any interdependence with other people. The family, because of its strong and God-given ties, is especially warred against, and a major hallmark of the anarchistic mentality is rebellion against the family. To cite a typical instance of this, a young man infected by the anarchistic mentality went out of his way to be offensive to his parents in appearance. Were they going to an important social function? He refused to cut his hair, wear clean clothes, or be other than a boor in his manners. 
requests for compliance were treated as attempts to control him, but he felt entitled to take whatever he needed from them as his right. He married a girl of like anarchistic tendencies. On one occasion, his deliberately bad manners upset her, and she remarked about it. He turned on her in a screaming rage and slugged her. He was logical at last. His rights were total in his eyes, his freedom absolute, and the rights of the world to, quote, invade, unquote, his absolute freedom were non-existent. He was, quote, resisting, unquote, an invasion. Precisely because he loved his wife as much as he was capable of loving anything, he resented her attempt to presume on that tie. He was, he declared, captain of his own soul, lord and general of his life, and no one had better try to, quote, dictate, unquote, to him. In brief, like a good anarchist, he believed in autonomy. Quote, I am God, don't fence me in, unquote. Autonomous man indeed finds life with other people, and especially life with a loving family to be, quote, hell, unquote. How can a man be his own God in his own world if other people make claims on him? People who have never heard the word, quote, anarchism, unquote, today are deeply infected by it. A young father brutally beat his infant because she was crying. His excuse, quote, she was bothering me with her crying, unquote. How dare anyone disturb our little gods? Another young man whose mother had long walked in fear of his tantrums turned on her when she asked when he would come home that night and slugged her. His excuse, quote, she was always bugging me, unquote. How dare anyone limit his independence with a suggestion or even a question? Quote, I am God. Don't fence me in. Unquote. A third basic premise of anarchism is closely related to the second. It is the belief that the rational is the real. After Hegel, modern man has progressively remade the world after his own image in terms of his concepts of rationality. People well beyond the borders of formal Hegelianism are infected by this belief. To cite an example of this, a bestseller widely read by conservatives and liberals is The Peter Principle by Dr. Lawrence J. Peter and Raymond Hull. The Peter Principle is simply this, quote, In a hierarchy, every employee tends to rise to his level of incompetence, unquote. In other words, every bureaucracy promotes a man until he reaches a point where he is no longer competent and there he remains, so that all jobs are potentially held by incompetence. The, quote, beauty, unquote, of this, quote, principle, unquote, is that it is so, quote, rational, unquote, and therefore the appeal of the principle and the book. But is it true? Some years ago, on an isolated Indian reservation, I saw in practice a decidedly different principle. The Indian agency superintendents gave their most competent employees poor or average ratings. This prevented promotion to another, higher agency and kept them there and enabled the superintendent to build up a better rating for himself. The incompetent men were given the highest ratings and promptly moved upward and out to another agency. Eventually, some of the competent men became discouraged and quit. The same is true of several corporations I checked on. Incompetent executives who know only management and nothing about engineering 
transfer men from plant to plant to prevent anyone from being around long enough to spot their ignorance. These executives regularly move from company to company to prevent anyone from detecting that they are, as executives, mainly paper shufflers and buck passers. The Peter Principle, however, appeals more to people than does the truth. It is more, quote, rational, unquote. Much of modern politics and economics rest on the same premise, that the rational is the real. In other words, man remakes the world in terms of his own supposedly creative word. A fourth premise of anarchism is its relativism. Since all objective law is denied and God is rejected, every man is his own God and law, and no one law is binding on all men. Outside of man, no absolutes exist. The, quote, purpose, unquote, of art and music then becomes a desire to prove that it makes no difference what note is sounded, which color or line is used, or which word follows another. Anarchism prevails in art and in science. The result, then, is the death of science because objective meaning and purpose are dead. Gunther S. Dent and the coming of the Golden Age, a view of the end of progress, believes it is not only the death of science which lies ahead, but the gradual decay and death of mankind. Jerome Letvin, reviewing Stent's book in the March 1970 Natural History, praised it but added, quote, However, I am not convinced by his optimism. Unquote. Sudden, rather than gradual death, is more likely for an anarchistic world. The denial of law is the affirmation of death. The dead are insensitive to law. Maturity is not anarchism, the ability to live in independence from man and God, but rather to live in interdependence with others under God. Without God, men are soon dead, their culture and civilization in ruins. Quote, He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Unquote. Proverbs eight thirty six. The love of death is deeply rooted in our age. Earlier we cited the childish tantrums of the anarchistic mentality in reaction to normal claims on their lives. Not surprisingly, hysteria has been a major concern of psychology in the modern era. Dr. Ernst Kretschmer, in his study of hysteria, Reflex and Instinct, page 132, observed, quote, We can therefore sum up the situation in these words. Such hysterical persons are not weak-willed, but weak of purpose, unquote. Without God, meaning and purpose wane and disappear. Anarchistic man can only lash out hysterically at a world he never made and therefore hates. He destroys civilization as though civilization were the sinner rather than himself. Anarchistic man has no future. He cannot construct. He can only kill and die. Let the dead therefore bury the dead. The world is ours under God to exercise dominion over it and to subdue it. Because God is sovereign, every day is the day of the Lord, and every year is Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. God only and always reigns. 
Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he us by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, 
then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.